0: The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. Several weeks ago, as we were talking about some of the concepts and ideas for this series, Happily Ever After, um, we began talking about, well, all right, what, what if we talked about um, these ideas of masculinity and femininity? What, what if we dove into what God says about being a man or being a woman? And in between right, that beginning conversation and, and today... Um, what actually happened in the span of a number of weeks is that the cultural tension around the idea actually skyrocketed. And there's always tension around everything um, in our our current culture, but um, particularly around this idea of masculinity, where the conversations really came out to the forefront. And there are people talking about what does it mean to be a man and what is masculinity and toxic masculinity and, and articles and commercials and response commercials and all of these things. And so there's a moment where, where it's like, all right, well, this is going to make Sunday morning interesting. Like, what do we do um, about this? Now, but the, but the thing you should know about me, the way that God has wired me up is that that actually it just excites me. Um, and so we're just going to dive in right straight into the midst of the tension and go for it. Because I think God has a lot to say about what it means to be a man and what it means, um, what what it what we talk about when we think and understand um, this idea of masculinity. And so we're gonna talk a bit about that today. And just one caveat as we talk about this, as we both this week and next week, there are gonna be a number of times. Where as we talk about one, they could apply to to maybe some, like today when we talk about men, you might find things that could apply to women. And next week you might find things as we talk about women that can apply to men. Um, But I'm not going to throughout the whole sermon kind of point out like, oh, you could take something from this. You could take something from this. We'll find that over and over again there are things that are true of all people that God at times in his scriptures will really lean into and press into for a specific group of people. And so today, we're going to just do that when we talk about masculinity. Some of these things might be for all people and be good for any person, but God specifically addresses those and leans into it for men for a very particular reason. And so we're going to dive into that. Now, there are a number of phrases that we will use when we talk to boys, or if you raise boys, or, or when you were a kid, you maybe have heard a number of phrases that all really revolve around this idea of manhood. Right? Phrases. Like, stop crying, or phrases like, well, cut out the emotion, or nobody likes a tattletale, right? Phrases like, well, don't don't be too nice, or be cool, or there's no crying in baseball, be a man, or real men don't like, and you can fill in the blank. Now, 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 with these statements, you can find statement after statement after statement, maybe even some that you could come up with that aren't church-appropriate statements, of things that you, could, you might say to a boy or to a man that are loaded with expectations. And see, the challenge with, with all of these statements and these expectations is when we say these things, but we don't ever help a boy understand what it means to be a man, it's expectations, but it's never something they can become. And so we have thousands of different expectations for our boys, but no clarity of what does it really mean to be a man. See, there is a crisis in how we understand what it means to be a man. And because of that crisis, because of that confusion, where it makes those statements heavy, it makes those statements difficult, it can even make those well-intentioned moments, it can make them damaging, Because what a boy hears in those moments is something that he can't be, that he can't become, or maybe that he doesn't even want to be. And so these statements are, maybe at times they're just superficial, maybe at times they're hurtful, maybe at times they even create the kind of crisis we have. And so I want to talk about this because I think that there's something important going on when we think about boys, when we think about men... And what is going on in our world today. See, one of the tendencies is when we, when, we, when we get excited about something or passionate about something, we can ignore other things. And so there are important conversations happening in our culture and our world about women and empowering women and what is good for women. Yet at the same time, I think it's important for us to not ignore a crisis that is also happening with our boys. And so this is a conversation that needs to be happening in both the masculine realm and the feminine realm and how we think about how God has designed and created men. Now, for several weeks, we've been in this series called Happily Ever After. And so throughout the series, we've been talking about how God has created and designed marriage, what God wants for our marriages... And we also realize when we talk about this kind of thing, it can be challenging for a number of different people, um, because maybe some of you are single, maybe you're not married, maybe you were married and aren't married anymore, and that can make this really challenging to talk about these kind of things. But what I'm really excited about for this week and next week Right? It's going to actually hit you a different way because, um, because for all of us, when we think about what it means to be a man or what it means to be a woman, it is uniquely important regardless of whether or not you're married because you work with the opposite sex, you're raising kids, some of you. And if you are married, how you understand how God has created men and women is significantly important to having a marriage the way that God has designed it to be. So let me give you a couple um, just facts about about boys, about the crisis that exists in our world. Boys are twice as likely to fail as girls or to drop out of school. Boys are twice as likely to need special education. They're four times as likely to be expelled. 93% of boys are exposed to internet pornography before they're 18 years old. 93%. Boys are more likely to have behavior problems, to be prescribed stimulant medications, to binge drink, to commit violent crime, to struggle with suicide. Now these are conversations we need to have with all teenagers, but there's something going on in the heart of young men as they're growing up. There's something going on that they're not seeing in this world. There's something going on that they're not seeing in men. There's something going on in the way our culture is designed that is making boys struggle in ways that we can't imagine. And so what do we what do we do? See the issue with, with with the way the world is simply because of the way humanity is right. We have this problem of sin, and what sin always does is sin chooses to come up with our own solution to the problem. See, if you're a parent, right, you you know you've, you've seen the way your kids respond in a variety of situations, and oftentimes what will happen if you're a parent, right, and you have little kids, they're going to come up with an idea that they think it's a good idea, but you know it's a bad idea. Right, when they want to eat candy all day, when they want to eat candy for every meal, you know as a parent that you need to tell them that's not, the, that, that's not a good plan. That's not going to work out in your favor. Now, the irony, though, is when it comes to our adult life, we do the exact same thing with every other area of our life. Right, we say, well, I have a plan. I know what would be best for me. I know what I want. I know what I like. I know the way that I, I am. And so we simply figure out because of sin, right, I'm just going to do what's best for me. I'm just going to do things the way that I think it works. I know how, how, what is actually good. And so what we often do is we come to our own conclusions about the way the world should operate, the way that we should be, that is based on our own understanding of how it all works instead of the way that God has designed it to be. And so what happens in this case is, is when we come up to it with our own conclusions, we come up with conclusions that aren't really the way that God ever intended for us to understand what it means to be a man. And so we've created, because of sin, this fake version of masculinity. See, faux masculinity is superficial, and it ignores what's going on inside See, this fake version of, of masculinity, it has a thousand different things that we can think of and that we can say, this is what it means to be a man. This is what it means to be a manly man. But those thousand different things are a weight of expectations and every single one of them is often right, superficial. And it ignores the heart issues. It ignores the character, the integrity of a man. And so we'll easily come up with definitions of man, and we'll think of, all right, it's cars versus poetry, or it's spo- sports over art. It's action movies over romantic comedy, or it's building, or it's fixing, or it's hunting. And, and here's the thing, all of the, none of those things are bad things, but they're just things. They're just su- sur- superficial, surface-level things. But what happens is the way that our world has defined masculinity has become a thousand different things. And they're things that don't, don't really matter. They're things that are insignificant. And so this is why I don't, I don't really think it matters whether a boy's into video games or sports or music or clothes or any of those. Because that's not what, it, that's not what defines being a man. But when we are confused, when we're not clear about what it means to be a man people come to those conclusions. Because, of course, that's what I see, that's what I observe, that's what I think. And if you really want to, like, really press into, like, that, like, that's just kind of the edge of the surface, but if you really want to, like, all right, what could go wrong? See, the reason that there will often be outrage when it comes to this idea of masculinity is because there are examples of what happens when there is an unclear definition of masculinity. Right? Examples of men like Larry Nassar or Harvey Weinstein... Right, examples of, of what happens when some men don't have a clear definition of what it means to actually be a man. See, in every case of abuse, or violence, or mass shootings, which are statistically more likely to be boys than girls, in every one of those situations, there is a crisis going on. And I promise you, those things don't happen because those people had good examples of godly men. They don't happen because they understood this is what it looks like to be a man. No, it happens because of a warped, a twisted, a corrupted view of what it means to be a man. See, in every case of abuse, there's a, every time there's a violent, abusive man, inside that man is a little boy who hates himself. See, every time there's an example of an immoral, a hateful, an insecure man, what you have is you have a boy in a grown-up body who maybe he can shave and maybe he's really big, but inside he's just ashamed and terrified and doesn't know how to be a man. See, that happens. Toxic masculinity happens when men don't have other men to look to, when boys don't know what it's like to become a man, when nobody's clear, when nobody shows them or leads the way. So, so what, do we, what do we do with that? Like, how do we fix the problem? How do we solve the problem? What, what can help? See, I believe that the church is actually uniquely positioned to help with this problem. Because think about it. The church wants to help marriages. Right? The church actually wants kids to grow up in homes with their mom and their dad around. And, and, and the church, even for, in situations when the dad can't be around, or when, the, when a dad is left a family. The church is actually uniquely positioned to, to come into the lives of those kids and those families. And provide for all kids a good example of godly men. Of men who lead. Of men who are strong. Of men who love. Of men who sacrifice. Men who are examples of what it means to be a man. See, there are two possible responses. At least kind of two primary responses of how we could respond to this masculinity problem in our world. And they're drastically different approaches, and I would suggest only one has the potential to actually do what we need it to do. And so on one hand, we, ha- we have a-, a solution that would be, we can eliminate the distinctions. We, we could say, alright, well, we're- let's just get rid of masculine, let's get rid of feminine, let- let's stop trying to-, to make there's a difference between men or women. Let's just, let's just ignore it all. Now, I would suggest that this solution doesn't actually fix the problem. And I'm I'm not saying this, I'm not really ignoring the, I'm not really talking about the superficial things like colors and sports and art or any of those things. Like, I like a good romantic comedy, so I'm not talking about the superficial things. Like, that that doesn't matter. But I'm talking about, like, how do we really understand what it means to be male or female? Because if we eliminate the distinctions, what will happen is kids will grow up and they will come up with their own distinctions. See, we actually know this about child development, that when kids are very young, you don't have to teach a kid to look for people that look like them, that act like them, that like the same things as them. That's just what kids do. It's part of child development. And so if we just ignore it, if we don't talk about it, what will happen is boys will start to group together and, and strong boys will start to group together and, and boys will look to other boys and try to start to figure out and they will watch TV and they will watch their fathers and they will watch the world around us and come up with some idea of what they perceive to be manliness. Manliness. And so we can try to eliminate all the discussions we want, but boys are going to still grow up, and they're going to come up with their idea of what they think it means to be a man. And I promise you, if we don't speak into the lives of boys and tell them and show them what it means to be a man, they're going to come up with a poor definition of what it means to be a man. Because that's what sin does. Sin wreaks havoc. And so the examples of when masculinity goes toxic didn't come from a good or clear definition of masculinity. And I would argue that if we eliminate the distinctions, the problem will get worse, not better. And so the alternative is that we could, we could actually redefine masculinity the way that God does. And so we could say, all right, there are all these superficial things that really don't matter. But what if we had a definition that actually got to the heart of it? What if we had something that could actually help us think about and understand what does it really mean to be a man? And so for our strong men, for weak men, for emotional men, for hunting men, for all the kinds of men, what if we had a definition that could really get to the inside, the heart level? So let's, let's give a definition that we can work with and run with and we will dive into a text to really help us unpack that in just a minute. God created men, and therefore also boys, God created men with a responsibility to love with strength and sacrifice. Right? God created men with a responsibility to love with strength and sacrifice. I want to look at that in the, in the book of 1 Corinthians. If you have your Bibles in front of you, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. If you're using the Bibles in front of you, it's on page 1792. Um, as we look at this text, I'm actually going to be reading from the ESV today. So there might be some slight differences. Um, the ESV here has a little bit more of a precise um, word-for-word translation that will help us, especially in this text. Um, so if you're following along in, the, in your Bible app, you can just switch the translation and you'll be able to follow along perfectly as well. So chapter 16, I'm going to start in verse 13. We're going to read just two verses and focus in on those. Paul writes this. He says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Let me read that that one more time for us. It says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, and let all that you do be done in love. In love. Now, these two verses all center around this idea that, that Paul writes here, and he describes as "act like men." Now, some of our translations will actually leave out the word "act like men," and um, because really, what what's happening here, "act like men" and "be strong" are really being used kind of synonymously. The strength and manhood are are going together, but I, I think it's important that we put we actually have that here. Because there's something unique that Paul is doing as he writes these words. See the word, the phrase "act like men" really doesn't have a corresponding phrase for women. It, it only speaks to manhood. There is no "act like a woman." There is no version that that would translate as "be a lady." Right? It's just "act like men." Yet at the same time, what's also important is that Paul is talking to the entire church, and so Paul's talking to men. He's talking to women. He's talking to children. And so this applies to all people, yet Paul is leaning in. He's pressing in and saying, this is for all people, but it's especially important because of how God created men to live and to be. And so Paul unpacks this idea of what does it mean to be a man. And so let's go phrase by phrase through some of the ideas in this. He starts with this phrase, be watchful. Right, be watchful is essentially what Paul is doing. He's is, is, is saying, men, you, you actually realize what's going on here. Like, and it's not like just look around, but it's, it's like, no, no, men pay attention and respond accordingly. See, men know the stakes in the importance of their role. See, that's what Paul is saying here. When he says, men, men, be watchful, he, he means pay attention, understand, recognize the significance of what you do, where you do it. Understand where you've been called. Understand what's at stake in your community. Understand what's on the line in your workplace. Understand what's on the line for your family. Understand what's at stake when you said, I do. And so when you go to the workplace... Right, men, you understand that there's something that hangs in the balance. And so when you decide to be lazy or take a shortcut, right, you understand that somebody loses because of your decisions. When when you have people who work for you, the way you treat your coworkers, when when you have a boss that you don't like, you understand that there's something actually on the line when, when it comes to how you interact with those people in the workplace. And you understand in your community when you give, when you serve, when you talk to your neighbor, there's something at stake in those moments, in those conversations. And for your family, you, you understand, right, that there's something that is on the line when it comes to how you talk to your spouse, how you treat your spouse, how you forgive your spouse. There's something on the line when you choose to leave work early and go home with your family. And you understand, right, for your kids that when you are present, when you show up, when you put the phone aside, there's something on the line in those moments when you choose your kids over other things. See, what a boy does is a boy just does what he wants to do. A boy just picks, well, this is what I want to do, this is what feels right. But a man, a man knows what's at stake and sometimes they actually choose what they don't want to do because because what they don't want to do is actually what's better for their family. And so a man actually understands what's at stake, and so he responds accordingly because he knows the weight and the significance of what he does in the places that God has placed him. Now, now if you think that this is, all right, well, this is just Bible talk, I want to give a couple, a, a couple statistics that I think are important. So if you're a guest here and you're not so sure about the Bible thing, um, that's fine. I hope you get into the whole Bible thing. Um, but even if you're not there right now and you're just like, well, just get like, is, I mean, is this really, like, just a, a reality in our life? Let me give you some secular, right? This is not Christian research. This is just, like, research, research. Um, and so it, it's, it, here, here are a couple um, just facts about men. The more frequent a father visits the hospital of a premature infant, the more quickly that infant gets released from the hospital, and the better it develops. All right, we know there's something important, obviously, about the mom, but the, the more the father visits the more quickly that premature infant gets better. Living in a home without a dad has a greater correlation with suicide among teenagers than any other factor. We know that teenagers in our world are growing up more anxious, more depressed, and struggle with suicide more than any other generation. And we could connect that to all kinds of things. We could connect that to isolation and loneliness and technology. But the greatest correlation is, is dad at home? children who are born poor and raised by both married parents have an 80% chance of moving into the middle class or higher. Without the the dad, if the dad leaves the picture, they are actually 400% more likely to end up worse than they were. For every 1% increase in fatherlessness in the neighborhood, it predicts a 3% increase in teenage violence. And the greatest predictor around the world of a child's ability to empathize is the amount of time their dad spends with them. See, this this just, just points out where there is a lot on the line. For our boys, for our girls, for our families, poverty, violence, abuse, future marriages, empathy, mental illness, all can be directly tied to whether or not men act like men. And so when Paul says, be watchful, it begins, because do you understand what's on the line for you, for your family? And then Paul says, not only be watchful, but he says, now stand firm in the faith. To stand firm, to, to, to trust, to be. Now the challenge is with, it, with, with a statement like this, we hear stand firm and we think, right, a strength and power. But the strength will actually come later. Right here, what Paul is really wanting us to camp out on this idea is what do we stand in? Right? It's, it's not about the strength of the stance, it's about what you trust in. It's He says stand firm in faith, which has an object. Which means that a man actually clings to something other than himself. And so when Paul's defining manliness and, matter, and what matters most, he says, what do you trust in? Because men don't trust in their manliness or the circumstances they're in or their abilities to do the right things. Men trust Jesus. Right? To be a man means to stand firm, trusting in Jesus. And so sometimes the other things are difficult. Sometimes the job situations gets difficult. But in those moments when the job is difficult, when the job makes you question who you are or why you're doing what you're doing, a man actually trusts in Jesus when their work doesn't make very much sense. And when marriage gets difficult and there's difficult conversations and moments, a man doesn't trust in the situation. A man doesn't then run to something else. A man doesn't run to alcohol or pornography or somebody else. A man trusts in Jesus in the midst of that situation to do what he can't. See, it's easy for us to try to trust in all these other things, to trust how it looks, to trust how it feels, to trust in my ability to do the things that I want to do, for things to go according to my own plan. But for us as men... The best thing we can do for our family is trust in Jesus no matter the situation. Because, men, you don't need to fix all the problems. You don't need to have all the answers. You just need to point your family to the one who does. Right, last week when, when Joe shared with us, all right, all right, what do we do with our hopes and dreams and, and what do we do for our family because I don't know how to do all these things. I don't know what to do for my family. He, he read for us from 1 Peter 5 and he said, it says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Because the best thing you can do as a man, as a father, as a husband, and no matter what the situation is, the best thing you can do is point your family to the one who knows more, who cares more, and can do more than anyone else. And then Paul will say, act like men, be strong. See, it's important that act like men, be strong, comes after the first two. Because if we just say that right up front, what do we think? We think it's about our strength. It's about our power. But when Paul here says act like men and be strong, it's not like pull yourself up by the bootstraps. It's like Instead he's saying act like men, be strong, because you've drawn on, on, on that strength from someone else. Because even though you are weak, you actually know the one who's strong. And so your strength doesn't come from your own manliness or your, or your own resolve or your own commitment. No, when you act like a man, it's come because you know the one who actually acted like a man. You know the one who's strong even when you're weak, when you fail, when you do wrong. And so when Paul says, act like men, be strong. Strength and manliness and, and love all get wrapped up together here. Because what a man does when he acts like a man is more about love than it is about power. It becomes more about sacrifice than it is about control. It's more about losing even than it is about winning. See, men don't use their strength for power but for sacrifice. And men don't use their strength for control but for love. And so when Paul calls out this manliness, when he points to it, he understands how big a deal this is because a man uses his strength and sacrifice not for his own benefit, but for the people who matter most to him. And I would suggest that because this phrase, act like men, is not only to men, it actually makes it more important for men. Because if Paul is saying this to men, to women, to children, to an entire faith community, the best thing that those men in that community can do is act like men. Like if you're a parent and you're a dad of girls and you want your girls to be strong, strong girls, and and you want your girls to lead, the best thing as a dad that you can do for those girls is you can act like a man. Because strong men will raise strong boys, will raise strong girls, Because a good man will be imitated by his boys and his girls. A good man will be followed and trusted by his wife. And the strength of a godly man helps the people around him flourish and become who God wanted them to be. And so as men, we have an opportunity to be who God created us to be. To be a man. Now, I want to encapsulate all of this by using a story from the Old Testament. And in this story, there are some main players. In it, you have Goliath, we have the Israelites, we have David. And so, in the story where David fights Goliath, what we have is you have the Philistines are at war against the Israelites. And so you have the Philistines on one side and then the Israelites are on the other. And there's this valley between them. And so in the midst of this conflict, the Philistines would come out and representing the Philistines, they have Goliath. And and he's massive, he's huge, and he comes out taunting the Israelites. Taunting them, making fun of their God and their belief. And so he comes out and he challenges the Israelites to a fight. And he says give me a man it's the equivalent of Goliath standing in front of this crowd of Israelites and saying who's gonna fight me like a man it says give me a man and let us fight each other and when the Israelites hear Goliath's words like they're just looking at each other like not me not me like or is there somebody behind me like like I'm not gonna fight are you gonna fight him in 1 the, the, Samuel, it actually tells us that, that Saul and the Israelites were terrified. They don't know what to do. See, I think, I think here we can get a picture of what happens when it comes to this tension we feel when it comes to masculinity. because so, th- Think about what is going on here. For the Israelites, you have a bunch of boys. I mean, they look like men, right? They can shave and they're ready to fight a battle. But in the moment... Goliath saying, "Come out, fight me like a man," and they're like, "Not me, not me," but they're terrified. They're oblivious to what's really on the line for their faith, for their nation. They're struggling to even believe. Like when they look at the circumstance, it's not going to go very well. They're not trusting in God; they're trusting in right their size, their ability to fight, their comp- ability to accomplish. See, I often like when I when I read the story of David Goliath, like I want to be. Like David, right? He's the hero. But I think if I'm honest, like I'm I'm the Israelites. Like I'm the one on the sideline who's terrified, who doesn't know what to do. And, and like think about the situation. Like on the other side, you have Goliath. He's the man's man, right? He's huge. He's a warrior. He's big. He's jacked up and doing CrossFit. He does P90X in 30 days. Like that's the kind of man you got there. And you have know, the Israelites are like, well, I can't be that kind of man. Where that? And I often, like that's... That's me. Like I get this picture that has a thousand different expectations of that's what a man is supposed to be. I'm like, I can't do that. I don't know this about that or this. I can't can't do that. So the Israelites are there. They don't realize the stakes. They have no faith. They look at the circumstance. And they're terrified. And then David shows up. And he's just there to, to bring some lunch, and so he he sees what's going on. No, he sees Goliath and the things he's saying, and he's outraged. Like, how can he say that? And so, so he's like, "Well, hold my hold my sandwich, right?" And then, and then he go, and he's like, "Well, you're not going to fight. I, I'll fight." See, David actually realizes what's on the line. David actually understands the significance because if he doesn't fight, who will? And so David goes out and when he goes out when he realizes what's on the line Saul does what we always try to do when we try to go into battle and Saul's like, "Well, you need to put on all this armor because Saul's like, "Well, I know what a man looks like and I know what it means to fight in a battle." So Saul's like, "Let's put on this armor." And David's like, "No, you're missing the point." David says, "I can't wear this. I'm not used to it. This isn't who God made me to be." And so David takes off the armor. And then David says this important statement. He says, The battle is the Lord's. See, when we're cowardly and on the sideline, when we fail to be who God created us to be, in walks David. See, Jesus is David. Jesus is our David. And when we fail to recognize what's at stake in our world, in our home, Jesus shows up and he says, I'll fight. When we fail to believe that we can even be who God wants us to be, Jesus shows up exactly who he's supposed to be. And Jesus knows what's at stake. Our our lives, forgiveness, salvation, it is all on the line when Jesus walks into the battle. And so he takes the stones. Jesus goes to the cross to fight in a battle that we were too cowardly to fight in. And he wins. By sacrifice. And that, that's what creates men. That love, that sacrifice, it's what rescues us all. And it's what turns us as men into the kind of men that God wants us to be. That courage, that love, that sacrifice of Jesus. It's the kind of thing that can lead to a man saying to his family, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Not because we have the strength, but because Jesus went into the battle and we're just following behind. Not because we have the strength, not because we have the power, not even because we think we can be the kind of man we're supposed to be, but we're following the way of Jesus. Jesus is leading the way, Jesus is leading the fight, Jesus is leading the charge for your family, for your world, for your community. And so men, we just follow Jesus. And so as Jesus shows us what's on the line, we begin to realize what's at stake for our family, for our world. Because Jesus loves me with courage and sacrifice when the stakes are high, I can do the same. And I can begin to act like a man. Let me pray for us, and we will close with a time to confess and hear from God. Jesus, we thank you for your incredible words and for your challenging words. For those of us who are men, and who hear these words and are challenged and are convicted, I ask that you would hear us, that you would forgive us when we are cowardly, that you would forgive us when we fail to act like men, that you would forgive us when we don't stand firm, when we don't trust to you, that you would forgive us when we turn to other things, that we put our hope in other places or situations, Jesus, please forgive us as men and help us become the kind of men you want us to be. And for all of us, for men, for women, for children who are here and as we look at our lives, as we see all the many ways where we fail, where we sin, where we fail to love you with our heart, our soul, our mind, where we fail to love the people around us the way we should. Jesus, we pray that you would forgive us, that you would have mercy on us. Hear us now in these moments as we personally and quietly confess to you our sin. promise of Jesus for each and every one of us is that Jesus knows exactly what's on the line. And Jesus knew what was at stake when He gave himself for you. Jesus goes to fight for you and he loves and he sacrifices everything. And because of that love, because of that fight, because of that sacred sacrifice, you are who Jesus says you are. And because of that, I can proclaim to you the words of Jesus to you in this very moment, that your sins are forgiven in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.